This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. The skyrocketing costs of prescription drugs has become a matter of life and death for so many. We've heard the heartbreaking stories of individuals who could not afford their insulin, were forced to ration and skip doses, and as a result, they lost their lives. I remember quite vividly a conversation I had with an Iowa mother explaining how she lost her son, who as a young man was rationing his insulin because he could not afford to do more. It was a heartbreaking discussion, and having that discussion with that mother, I could not help but think then of my own brother and sister, who have been reliant on insulin as juvenile diabetics for nearly all of their lives. When we talk about the cost of prescription drugs, folks, lives are literally on the line. And Iowans have been very clear with me where they stand on this issue. They want to see us come together to advance solutions that drive down those drug prices. That was a speech Republican Senator Joni Ernst made in 2020, emphasizing the need for bipartisan support to reduce the cost of prescription drugs, specifically naming insulin as one of those drugs that are just too expensive. Now, lucky for her, she actually had the opportunity to do something about this, put those words into action. However, she decided to block capping the cost of insulin to $35. And she's not alone because 43 Republicans in total successfully blocked an amendment to the Inflation Reduction Act that would have capped the cost of insulin to $35. And she's not the only hypocrite here because Republican Senator Rob Portman also called insulin price hikes shameful before. However, he still voted against capping the cost of insulin along with most of his GOP colleagues. So that is the modern day Republican Party in a nutshell. They vote for things that are just common sense. It would help a lot of people, including many members of their own base, but they still voted against it overwhelmingly. Now, it's not all Republicans who voted against this, to be clear. There were seven who supported this. That includes Cassidy, Collins, Hawley, Hyde-Smith, Kennedy, Murkowski, and Sullivan, but they needed 10, and most Republicans were not in favor of this. Now, lately, they've been showing people how extreme they are, voting against protecting doctors from legal culpability when it comes to women's reproductive health, voting against same-sex marriage, voting against access to contraception as a right, and now their own base is starting to realize how extreme they are. So we're going to get to the Inflation Reduction Act and what's in it, but I want to share the reactions by conservatives to their party 
voting against capping the cost of insulin. So this is from the conservative subreddit where this user vocalized anger at the fact that his party voted against this. He says it's unfortunate, but our party just ate a big pile of shit by opposing capping insulin for all instead of just Medicare. I've been conservative my entire life and for the first time questioning my political choice. I can't stand the Democrats, but as a type 1 diabetic, the GOP really fucked me. Now in the same thread, this person asks why they even oppose the insulin cap. And this person adds, doesn't even make sense politically. Guess we know who's paying their real salary. So this is what the Republican Party is doing. They've shifted so far to the right, become so extreme that they're alienating their own base now. Now, I'd argue that this is who they've always been, but I'm still glad that people in the Republican Party base are waking up and realizing that this party doesn't care about them at all. Now, capping the cost of insulin for individuals who aren't on Medicare wasn't the only thing that didn't make it into the final bill. Because as NBC News' Sahil Kapoor explains, universal pre-K, child care, elder care, child tax credit, housing, community college, the earned income tax credit expansion, closing Medicaid gap, immigration tax rate high millionaire surtax, ending carried interest loophole, all of these did not make it into the final bill. Now, when it comes to the carried interest loophole, well, there's one individual to thank. As Common Dreams explains, thanks to Senator Kirsten Sinema, there was a huge last-minute win for the private equity and hedge fund industries when Sinema forced the elimination of what would have been $14 billion tax increase targeting private executives. So a lot of really good things weren't included in this bill when they could have been. And that's really unfortunate. Now, Bernie Sanders had tried to propose amendments to make this bill better and also remove some of the pork for fossil fuel donors of Manchin, who is the individual who constructed this compromise with Chuck Schumer. However, most Democrats voted against this, saying even if they agree with what Bernie Sanders wants here, well, supporting these amendments would jeopardize the entire arrangement. And sure, maybe they actually agree with Bernie Sanders, but I think that they're very, very happy about the fact that they can hide behind Joe Manchin here. Yeah. So there's a lot in this legislation. It's huge. Now, I'll link you down to a couple of analyses that go over it in depth and explain all that's in it. And we're not going to get to everything here, but just for the most part, here's a really quick summary before we get into some specifics here. This is courtesy of Jeff Stein, who says it's the biggest ever climate bill, which I mean, we, we haven't really made any investments. So it's easy to be the biggest ever when we've done nothing. But either way, he says massive industry, clean energy money, 80 billion for electric vehicles, heat pumps, home solar installation, biggest ever funding increase for the IRS, 15% tax on corporations with $1 billion in profits, Medicare prescription drug negotiation, obviously health and tax stuff matter too, but on climate energy side, it includes up to 7500 for individuals to buy an electric vehicle and tax credits, up to $2,000 in credit for heat pumps, 30% off rooftop solar, $840 for electric cooktop, up to $9,000 for electric panel and home insulation, other big provisions Dems are touting, cap on insulin for Medicare beneficiaries, although not private, 1% tax on corporate buybacks of their own stocks, averting ACA cliff by extending healthcare subsidies for three years, funding for Black Lung Disability Trust Fund for coal miners. So there's a lot of good things in here, but really the devil is in the details here. When it comes to the 1% tax on stock buybacks, is that good? Yes, but stock buybacks should be illegal, period, full stop. So the fact that you're taxing them 1% on their stock buybacks, Okay, I guess that's a step in the right direction, but ultimately it's not where we need to be. And when it comes to allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drugs, well, again, 
This sounds good, but in actuality, this is very incremental. As The Hill explains, it would allow Medicare to negotiate lower prices for 10 high-cost drugs beginning in 2026, ramping up to 20 drugs by 2029. There is a steep penalty if a drug company doesn't come to the table, a tax of up to 95% of the sales of the drug. There is also a ceiling that the negotiated price cannot rise above. In a deal with moderates, including Senator Kirsten Sinema, only older drugs are subject to negotiation after a period of nine nine years for most drugs after 13 years for more complex biologic drugs. That means the negotiations are more limited than many Democrats wanted. So even if there are a lot of positive things in this legislation, well, Manchin and Cinema absolutely molded it to their liking. And when I say to their liking, what I really mean is to their donors liking, because Manchin absolutely delivered for his fossil fuel donors and Kirsten Cinema delivered for her donors on Wall Street. And because their votes are needed in order to pass this, well, Democrats decided to let them essentially shape the entirety of this legislation. In fact, it was so close that the vice president had to break a tie in the Senate. So it passed narrowly. But nonetheless, what is in this bill overall? And as a leftist, how should we feel about this? Well, me, just speaking personally, I feel pretty conflicted about this because even if this is a good first step with regard to climate change, overall, it doesn't go far enough. And locking us into even more fossil fuel extraction seems suicidal when the IPCC has told us we have now a decade or so to act when it comes to climate change. So we're acting, right? That's, that's a good thing. But are we doing enough. Now, as I say, stated earlier, the devil is in the details. So if we're investing in climate change, that's a loaded term because just investing in climate change mitigation in and of itself can be bad because if we're investing in carbon capture, well, that's technology that is underdeveloped and not very efficient. So if they're doing that, not great, right? So what's specifically in this? Well, a lot of tax incentives for corporations to be more clean. So let's get to the specifics courtesy of the Washington Post. This legislation includes $260 billion in tax credits to incentivize using wind, solar, and hydro with the goal of making clean energy more affordable than fossil fuels. There's $80 billion in rebates for consumers who purchase electric vehicles, as Jeff Stein explained earlier. On top of that, probably the most important provision in my mind is this. A new methane emissions reduction program would reward oil and gas companies that slash their emissions of methane that penalize those who don't. The program crafted by Senate Environment and Public Works Chair Thomas R. Carper originally would have provided $775 million upfront to oil and gas companies to cut their methane emissions. The current agreement doubles that money to $1.5 billion, according to a Senate Democratic aide. Methane traps far more heat in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide, the most abundant greenhouse gas. And it also includes a $27 billion green bank to invest in more sustainable development and infrastructure. Now, tackling methane is very important. I don't like that they're going with the carrot approach with regard to corporations. They're trying to incentivize them to reduce their methane emissions when I think that you should go with the stick approach and find them. Perhaps find them into oblivion, regulate them out of existence if they continue to pollute the planet if they you know emit these methane emissions that are trapping heat that is leading to you know this greenhouse effect so it's not the way that i would have designed this it's a very corporate fr friendly piece of legislation but still tackling methane even if it's in this neoliberal framework that makes me nauseous is still a step in the right direction because doing nothing is the alternative and that is something that we can't allow to happen so there's good things in this legislation but it comes at a very high cost for example to secure mansions 
Biden's vote, Democratic leadership pledged to mandate new oil and gas leasing in the Gulf of Mexico and off the coast of Alaska, where industry groups are pushing for a major expansion in oil production. So there are a number of poison pills within this legislation that make it a hard pill to swallow. And if you look at these statements from environmental groups, they're very mixed, right? The Sunrise Movement said it's sad that it took this long and this really isn't sufficient. It's a very meager investment in climate change, but it's better than nothing and really our last chance at doing anything. And hopefully these investments in renewable technology will spawn exponential growth. Will that actually be the case? We don't necessarily know, but again, it's kind of like the Democratic Party is offering us crumbs and we can take the crumbs and be angry with it or we could take nothing. And that's where we're at. And it's deeply, deeply frustrating that this is the first major step towards climate mitigation when it comes to legislation. However, it's something. So you don't have to feel super happy about this. There are other provisions, you know, with regard to ACA subsidies and corporate taxes that I absolutely admire. So overall, I'd say this bill is net good but I'm not really heavily leaning in either direction. You know, this is kind of a wait and see thing. Wait to see the impact that this will have on the industry and on consumer habits. We don't necessarily know altogether, but still that's what's in the bill. But the overall theme about this is there's some good, there's some bad, and then there's also some really ugly things not necessarily in the bill, even though there are ugly things in the bill, but ugly things that were left out of the bill thanks to Republican senators who decided to, I guess, give the middle finger to their supporters who rely on insulin. So that is another instance of them showing how extreme they are, and they continue to do this. So yeah, that's where we're at. Something is getting done, and that's still shocking in and of itself. So now it heads to the House and then to Biden's desk, and it'll be signed into law presumably relatively soon. We'll have to wait and see, but that's the Inflation Reduction Act. I've talked about the poison pills. I've talked about the good. And now we just have to, um, I guess, you know, hope for the best when it comes to whether or not this will make a difference and cross our fingers, right? I didn't watch that much of CPAC this year because I decided to practice self-love. But I do have some highlights for you because I know that you probably wouldn't subject yourself to that torture as well. But before we get started, I just want to kind of give you CPAC in a nutshell. Ladies and gentlemen, we are all domestic terrorists. True. <laughs> okay, let's get to some highlights here. The first is um, Donald Trump, who is introducing a swimmer. Her name is, uh, what was it? Riley Gaines. So he um, is going to hit on Riley Gaines. You know, he's very clearly interested in her. She thinks that she's attractive. And take a look at the way that he uh, welcomes her to the stage. Crazy. It was the largest applause I've ever heard. Come on up here. Look at this. Look at this. come just stop touching people i mean you could introduce someone and not actually like give them a hug or something like something like maybe I'm, I'm a weirdo right because i don't like being hugged i don't want people to touch me that's just the way that i am it's my personality it's my preference right and i think that some people who are more touchy-feely they think that because they prefer hugs and you know affection that other people feel the same way i promise you they don't feel the same way but in this instance donald trump you know 
He's attracted to her. She's a young woman. And as a creep, he wants to give her a kiss because he wants to get as close to her as he possibly can because we all know Donald Trump's history with young women. Now, the problem is that she wasn't feeling it. And that led to that very awkward exchange there. But somebody who was interested in Donald Trump presumably hitting on them was a GOP congressman and former White House doctor, Ronnie Jackson. Look at the way that Donald Trump introduced him. A man that knows me almost better than any human being he knows every inch of me. And he thinks it's actually a very beautiful sight. That's why I like it. Okay, now there's more. Ronnie Jackson, my doctor. Dr. Ronnie, where's Ronnie? Where's Ronnie? Oh, he was the White House doctor. He was a great doctor, you know. He was an admiral, a doctor, and now he's a congressman. I said, which is the best if you had your choice? And he sort of indicated doctor because he loved looking at my body. It was so strong and powerful. The visual is so disturbing that it actually makes me want to be straight. Like it makes me want to leave my homosexual lifestyle and become straight because the thought of Trump with another man honestly is so nauseating that it makes me repulsed. Um, it just, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm sorry that you had to get that visual, but perhaps more disturbing even than that visual is the performance art by Walk Away founder and grifter Brandon Schraka. So on the second day of CPAC in Exhibition Hall, he pretended to cry all day uh, and was behind bars with a MAGA hat. And then things somehow got even more bizarre when Marjorie Taylor Greene showed up. And um, it led to this moment captured by people on TikTok. You care about freedom? Back up. Jesus, we trust in you. Jesus, we trust in you. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits release this bondage that's going on in our country and upon Brandon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. You motherfuckers are extremely weird. You know this, right? You know how weird you look to sane people? You know this, right? I, I just, I can't get over that. What was that? You know that he's not really in prison, right? It's an art piece. And yet they're all praying over him, chanting like fucking cult members it, 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 how do you even characterize that like show this to people in other countries show this to like the average person in denmark and their head would explode they wouldn't know what to think of it yes we've all been accustomed to this sort of insanity and cult-like behavior from conservatives in the united states but still like being accustomed to it being surrounded by it having family members who are part of this dumb fuck movement i still can't not be perplexed when i see shit like that it's just it's so weird now speaking of this performance piece i've got to show you this picture of marjorie green holding his hand and walking away i mean look at his face too <laughs> What the fuck? Look at his face. I can't with these people. I cannot handle these fucking people. I swear to God, they are absolute 
psychopaths. These people are freaks. Now, he was absolutely triggered that people were making fun of him for this obviously stupid and cringeworthy over-the-top performance uh, that he took to Twitter. He says this, At CPAC, I sat silently in a cell as a performance art piece to provoke a reaction about political division, human rights abuses, and more. Right now, the left-wing media is actively trying to use this art piece to have me further prosecuted. The left now supports criminalizing art. Hmm. See, I've never actually supported criminalizing art, but you single-handedly might get me to reverse that position because that's so fucking intolerable and insufferable and cringeworthy that perhaps that should be illegal. And I love how he's trying to shine a light on uh, human rights abuses. I mean, in the event you were going to come before a large crowd of people and you wanted to make a political point uh, specifically about human rights abuses, what would you choose? Like if you're a leftist, maybe you talk about how tens of thousands of people die every single year in the United States because they don't have health care. Perhaps you talk about the genocide in Yemen being carried out by our ally, Saudi Arabia. Perhaps you talk about apartheid that Israel is doing to uh, Palestinians. He chose to talk about himself. Why? Because he chose to storm the capital and got prosecuted because of it. And so now he's making it like this political art piece that he's the victim. And now he's further victimized because people are making fun of him for being cringeworthy. I mean, just take the fucking L. Just take the L, dude. You're corny. It's dumb. You might have MAGA cultists and religious fundamentalists really excited to see you do whatever that was, but normal people look at that and they think that it's batshit fucking insane. The fact that you don't realize that, the fact that you lack the self-awareness to acknowledge how normal people view you, that's on you, not on all of us. Now, you know, besides the cringeworthy performative elements of CPAC, I did want to get to some substance, and we're really being charitable by using that word because I want to highlight Rick Scott's speech. And the reason why this speech in particular stood out to me was because of how fascistic it was in creating this enemy for the right to go after. And when I say enemy, I mean you, the left. We survived the War of 1812, the Civil War, World War I and II, Korea, Vietnam, the Cold War. But now, today, we face the greatest danger we have ever faced. The militant left wing in our country has become the enemy within. The woke left now controls the Democrat Party, the entire federal government, the news media, academia, big tech, Hollywood, most corporate boardrooms, and now even some of our top military leaders. They are working hard to redefine our country, silence their opponents, and that means each of you. They're destroying about everything they touch, and they've got their hands on everything. Here's the thing about what they're trying to destroy. American patriotism, border security, American history, gender, traditional morality, capitalism, fiscal responsibility, opportunity, rugged individualism, Judeo-Christian values, free speech, law enforcement, religious liberty, parental involvement in schools, and even private ownership of firearms. The woke left wants all of that gone. They want to end the American experiment. They want to replace freedom with their control. The elites in the government are telling us what we can and cannot believe, what we can think and what we can do. They want to completely control our lives. Woke government-run schools, 
woke government-run healthcare, woke government-run media, woke government-run everything. In their new socialist order, everyone will obey and no one will be allowed to complain. You do speak up, boom, you're gonna be canceled. Your views, if you don't conform with big tech, Fauci or Neil Young, you're gonna be taken off Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. What a very normal speech for a sitting United States Senator to give. Now, look, before I even talk about what he said there, I just wanna make it abundantly clear that I don't believe that he believes the words that he's saying. I think that he's being purposefully dishonest and just trying to, you know, get the crowd riled up, throw red meat to the GOP base, but he knows that everything there is projection, especially the talk of, uh, you know, the left posing this threat to democracy. Need I remind you that the GOP itself, their last president, staged an insurrection. On top of that, the far-right Supreme Court may actually subvert democracy by allowing state legislatures to enact state legislature theory to just let states choose who the next presidential electors are. It's fake elector scheme on steroids, not even allowing the voters of their state to make their voices heard. But that's not all because you have RNC officials training stop the steal conspiracy theorists to become poll workers. And you have GOP politicians across the country refusing to certify the results of elections. So for all this talk about democracy and how the left is a threat to it, it's not just projection. It's meant to distract people from the very real and present danger that the GOP poses to democracy itself. He knows this. He knows that normal Americans see the threat that Republicans pose to democracy. So he's trying to say, actually, look over there. They're the real threat. When the actual examples that he provides us with are fucking laughable. He says that um, they want to completely control our lives. Woke government-run schools. Woke government-run healthcare. I wonder what that looks like. Woke government-run healthcare. Love these buzzwords here. Um, and the example that he gives is Neil Young choosing by himself to take his music off of Spotify to protest Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. That's an example of the left militant mob controlling your free speech when somebody chooses on their own accord to remove their music from a particular platform. That sounds kind of dumb, 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 dumb. But he also says here, we survived the war of 1812, the Civil War, uh, World War One and Two, Korea, Vietnam, the Cold War. But today we face the greatest danger we've ever faced, the militant left wing. So he is quite literally conflating left-wingers in America who want healthcare and education and greater democracy with Nazis. I mean, does that sound like a serious person? As much as I say that Republicans like Rick Scott are fascists, I still acknowledge that they are not as harmful or dangerous to democracy as fucking Nazis. But yet, in his view, the left, they're worse than Nazis. They're a greater threat than Nazis. Yeah. And one thing that I've got to point out, which I've mentioned before, but Hungarian uh, Prime Minister and wannabe dictator Viktor Orban was invited to speak even after he gave a pure Nazi speech where he condemned race mixing. And he got a standing ovation at CPAC after condemning marriage equality. So, yeah, that's CPAC 2022. Is it more deranged than last year? Yeah, but will the following year be even worse than this year? Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty uh, good prediction if you were to make that. These uh, Republicans and conservatives are absolutely out of their minds. And in a way, it's scary to watch them be so openly extreme. But 
simultaneously, I I'm glad that they're finally just saying the quiet part loud, so that way there's no longer this plausible deniability. They're telling you how extreme they are. They're against contraception, abortion, marriage equality, perhaps even interracial marriage in some instances, and they're inviting people who give Nazi speeches. So that's who they are, and I'm glad that they're embracing that. So at least Americans can make a more um, in intelligent decision, you know, I guess. Some of them will still be hoodwinked by the GOP. Some of them will still fall for the culture war issues, but hopefully some people will wake up and realize, hmm, this is getting a little bit too much for me. They're sounding more and more fascistic. Perhaps now is the time to jump off of the ship before it takes down the entire country. That's maybe wishful thinking, but either way, that's a... Uh, that's what we saw at CPAC. Crazy fucking shit. Gay marriage, at least that is what Rob Portman wants. He's trying to get enough votes to codify same-sex marriage because <clears throat> Justice Clarence Thomas suggested that it might be in jeopardy. You said two weeks ago that the state-by-state -state approach is the best way to go. So I just want to be clear about your position. Are you saying that the 2015 Supreme Court decision that made same-sex marriage the law of the land nationally should be overturned? No, I am saying that I don't think it's going to be overturned. Nor I'll, should it be? Well, you know, that'd be up to the court. The reasoning, I think, could be attacked, but the point I'm trying to make is I've been consistent. I think states should decide the issue of marriage and states should decide the issue of abortion. I have respect for South Carolina. South Carolina voters here, I trust, to define marriage and to deal with the issue of abortion. Uh, not nine people on the court. That's my view. That was totally heterosexual Republican Senator Lindsey Graham stating unequivocally that when it comes to issues like abortion and same-sex marriage, states should absolutely have the ultimate say. The question is, where do you draw the line? How much of our civil rights and civil liberties that we fought for forever do we states' rights away in the name of freedom? Now, to him, he doesn't necessarily want to say because if you kind of follow this logic to its conclusion, you get into scary territory. Because remember, we had a civil war over states' rights when it came to the issue of slavery. So if you really want to open Pandora's box and let states do everything, would you let them ban interracial marriages? Because if they're supposed to be the ultimate authority on these issues, then in theory, wouldn't you support that too? Well, Lindsey Graham is going to be asked this question by Dana Bash, and as you're going to see, he did not want to answer it. Take a look. How far down should that, I mean, how, how wide should that go? How many more issues should that well, go we're to? For example, about... love, uh, Loving versus Virginia, that allowed interracial marriage, no. Is that, no, that shouldn't be touched. No, so here's the point. We're talking about things that are not happening because you don't want to talk about inflation. You don't want to talk about crime. This is all politics, my friends. Uh, instead of trying to solve problems like unstable people having guns, we're talking about constitutional decisions that that are still in effect. But if you're going to ask me to have the federal government take over defining marriage, yeah. I'm going to say no. Okay. Now, you probably missed it, but after she asked the question really quickly, he said, nope, and then he moved on to the dodge. Oh, but you want to talk about inflation. Hang on, Lindsay. Stop. You need to be very clear with your answer here. You said no, but I don't think most of the viewers heard this. Was that deliberate? Did you not actually want to show your cards on the issue of interracial marriage? I mean, he says no, technically, right? Even if it was quick and, and pretty quiet. But at the end, he said he's also a solid no when it comes to letting the governments control marriage or define marriage. Okay, so that's a tacit admission that maybe they should be able to 
let's say it's banned interracial marriages. And look, the reason why he's saying this is because in the event interracial marriage were put up to a vote in his state, for example, he knows that a lot of his constituents would vote against it. Because as a Politico Morning Consult poll found, 71% of voters support federal legislation legalizing interracial marriage with just 15% opposing it. From crosstabs, 25% of Republican voters either somewhat or strongly oppose such a bill. So when 25% of Republican voters oppose legislation guaranteeing the right of interracial marriage, Lindsey Graham knows that his base might be against it. That's why he's really wishy-washy here with his stance. Now, perhaps maybe a majority of Republicans would vote against banning interracial marriage, but would a solid enough chunk support banning interracial marriage enough to embarrass the GOP? Absolutely. Now, the question is, who's driving this extremism within the Republican Party? Is it the GOP or is it the base itself? And I think it's a little bit of both. But really, it's not surprising that the base grows more and more extreme when the GOP keeps doing extreme things. For example, they invited Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban to CPAC after he just gave a speech denouncing race mixing, which led to one of his own longtime advisors resigning, denouncing it as a, quote, pure Nazi speech. But yet he was still welcomed at CPAC here in America, where he made bigoted comments to thunderous applause. Hungary shall protect the institution of marriage as the union of one man and one woman. <laughs> family ties, family ties shall be based on marriage or the relationship between parents and children. To sum up, the mother is a woman, the father is a man, and leave our kids alone. Full stop, end of discussion. Now, I'm not a mind reader, but I think that that lady who was very clearly torn about applauding for Viktor Orban was maybe rethinking her life decisions. And perhaps she came to the realization briefly that maybe they're the bad guys. And if her conservative peers are cheering loudly for fascism, maybe she should rethink her worldview only to say fuck it and then applaud herself at the end. And it's not surprising that the base itself is becoming more extreme when they support extremist leaders like Donald Trump. Here's what we just learned today about Donald Trump. As HuffPost reports, the authors of The Divider, Trump and the White House 2017 to 2021, The New York Times' Peter Baker and The New Yorker's Susan B. Glasser detailed an exchange Trump had with his then chief of staff, John Kelly, years before the January 6, 2021 insurrection in an excerpt published by The New Yorker Monday. Quote, you fucking generals, why can't you be like the German generals? Generals, Trump reportedly asked Kelly, referring to German generals in World War II, to which Kelly later responded, you do know that they tried to kill Hitler three times and almost pulled it off. Still, Trump, in an attempt to rewrite history, insisted those generals were totally loyal to Hitler. So whenever you're trying to invoke Hitler and make a comparison to Hitler's Germany, and you invoke something about Nazi Germany and make it seem like it was a good thing that happened there, You've gone too far, to say the least, right? So this is why the GOP is getting more and more extreme, because these are the types of leaders that they support. And even if they didn't hear Trump make those statements, they know 
that that's not something that's out of the question for Donald Trump. It absolutely is something that he would say, even if this is based on speculation by, you know, John Kelly, what he says, it's hearsay, but this is what the GOP has become. So that's why Lindsey Graham didn't want to answer that question about interracial marriage, because he knows that it's kind of controversial now. You know, when your party votes overwhelmingly against protecting doctors from legal culpability, from the right to contraception, of course, interracial marriage is also going to become another question as well. Can we or can we not support this? What do the polls say? What does our base think about this specifically? This is what the GOP has done. They've been trying to turn back the time and they're kind of doing it now, right? At least within their own party, folks like Lindsey Graham are so intimidated by his own base that he won't unequivocally say whether or not interracial marriage should be something that states should be allowed to ban. And that says a lot about the GOP. It says they're fucking extreme. And if you support them, you should stop doing that immediately. That doesn't necessarily mean that if you're a Republican, you register as a Democrat. But it means you stop affirmatively voting for them. Not voting is preferable to voting for Republicans. Voting for a third-party libertarian candidate is preferable to voting for Republicans who actually pose a clear and present threat to our democracy. If you keep supporting them, you are complicit in the downfall of our democracy if it actually does indeed come to that. And I agree. I do not think it's beyond... Uh, this administrative state and their deep state apparatus to, to actually try to uh, work on the assassination of President Trump. I, I think I think everything's on the table. If Republican gets in, investigate everybody, raid everybody, use all of it. I don't care if we become Nicaragua at this point. You've already rung the bell. You can't unring it, buttercup. This is a wake up call for those in Congress to be able to use the tools at their disposal to defund the FBI, to ask the right questions and to prepare for a church style commission next year. If given a Republican majority to dismantle the FBI into a thousand bits. When we get power back, it's time to hold everyone accountable. The military leadership, the civilian leadership, the civil surface, those in Congress who've abused their power. All of them have to be held accountable. All of them. It can't be this nice guy routine where Justice. we're just, oh, let's be friends. And going back to Hillary, there's a whole lot of other things. How about the Benghazi scandals? How about the Clinton Foundation? I mean, how many, you know, shady oligarchs from Russia were contributing to that? Look about, how about Uranium One? Look at Hillary Clinton, the 33,000 emails that she just deletes. Hey, liberals, you think they're not going to come for you? So if the FBI can do this to President Donald Trump, they can do it to you. The left thinks this is hilarious. If you doubt me, just go to any of their goofy platforms, Twitter or elsewhere right now. They think this is hilarious. Oh, you have no idea, Dan Bongino. You have no idea. So that was just a small compilation of what I thought were the funniest meltdowns from MAGA world following news that Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago was raided. And what's funny about this is Trump's sycophants, they believe that he's actually above the law or that he should be above the law. Therefore, for him to face accountability, even the mere prospect of him facing accountability to them is deeply, deeply angering. And you saw the arguments that they used. I mean, this isn't necessarily an innovative argument. They're giving us no reasons as to why Trump shouldn't be held accountable for potential criminality. They claim, oh, well, what about Benghazi? What about Hillary Clinton? What about Hunter Biden? Look, if we're pretending as if this is some sort of a hostage exchange, we'll give you Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden in exchange 
for Donald Trump. They could all share a jail cell. I, I, I genuinely don't care. That, to me, as a leftist, that's not very persuasive. Another thing that they say is, well, you know, imagine what they can do to you if they're doing this to a president. Normal Americans are jailed every single day for doing lesser crimes than Trump possibly committed. So that's not actually a very good argument. And now what they're trying to do is they're trying to weaponize the legal system against their political opponents as they scream about how the Democratic Party currently is trying to weaponize the political system against their political opponents. Now, what I find fascinating about this particular argument is that they're pretending as if this is a new objective for them. When they've been talking about doing investigations of Democrats since Biden was elected back in April, they were talking about their intents to start impeachment proceedings for Joe Biden. So in response to that, I say, bring it on. The threat of you doing what you're already going to do shouldn't stop this investigation into Donald Trump. Now, I have more reactions to share with you, but first, let's get to some facts with regard to this story. The New York Times reports, former President Donald J. Trump said on Monday that the FBI had searched his Palm Beach, Florida home and had broken open a safe, an account signaling a major escalation in the various investigations into the final stages of his presidency. The search, according to multiple people familiar with the investigation, appeared to be focused on material that Mr. Trump had brought with him to Mar-a-Lago, his private club and residence when he left the White House. Those boxes contained many pages of classified documents according to a person familiar with their contents. Now, to be very clear, this does not confirm that Donald Trump has committed a crime. Did he likely commit a crime? Yeah, that's my opinion. But what this does indeed confirm is that a judge was convinced that there was probable cause that a crime had been committed, which is why this warrant was issued. And that is very, very serious. Now, since we learned about his raid yesterday, it got even worse for Donald Trump because a federal appeals court held that the IRS must turn over Trump's tax documents, something that he's been trying to not do for a very long time now. And in the event he's convicted of taking or destroying government records, he could be barred from holding a public office again. Now, whether or not this raid ultimately culminates in him being barred from public office or facing a day in jail, We'll have to wait and see. I'm not necessarily that optimistic about this, but still the shitstorm that ensued after this took place was uh, really delightful to see. Now, for the Republicans watching this, who are going to claim that this is nothing more than a partisan witch hunt, well, need I remind you, as Sawyer Hackett does, that the director of the FBI who approved the raid on Trump's home was actually appointed the none other by President Donald Trump five years ago this week. So you don't get to claim that this is some sort of a partisan witch hunt. The FBI had probable cause and they presented this case to a judge and the judge did agree with them and granted them the warrant. That's how the legal system works. I know that it's a little bit shocking that an elite, that a former public official with that much power is possibly being held at least minimally accountable with this raid. But that's how it's supposed to work. This is what happens when justice is actually equally applied and not just used against peasants who commit crimes. Now, we've seen some of the reactions from MAGA World, but I want to get some more reactions because to say that it was unhinged would be the understatement of the century because they are freaking the fuck out. And it's, just, it's just so funny. Their responses are not just ironic and hypocritical, but they're hilarious. So GOP leader Kevin McCarthy tweets, I've seen enough. The Department of Justice has reached an intolerable state of weaponized politicization. Rich coming from him. Attorney General Garland, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. Now, this is Republicans, again, doing what they claim Democrats are doing, weaponizing our legal system to take down political opponents. But this isn't some sort of a partisan witch hunt. There's evidence that Trump 
broke the law, and as Nabila Islam puts it, when equal treatment feels like oppression. Exactly. Texas GOP tweeted out, Biden has crossed the Rubicon. If there was any doubt remaining, we are now living in a post-constitutional America where the Justice Department has been weaponized against political threats to the regime. It's an administration, not a regime. That's not what that word means. Uh, as it would in a banana republic. It won't stop with Trump. You are next. Organized force birther and theocrat Abby Johnson tweeted, if the FBI can go after a president, they can come after any of us. Yeah, that's how the law is supposed to work. Charlie Kirk writes, America is devolving into a third world nation, not because of Trump, and this latest escalation by Merrick Garland and the Biden regime, again, it's an administration, not a regime, that's not what that word means, Jesus Christ, should shock every single American regardless of who you voted for in 2020. Wow. Probably my favorite cope here, Candace Owens writes, the FBI must be legally and formally dissolved. What happened to President Trump is positively stunning and a mark of unchecked government power. I no longer recognize the country I live in. Left or right, we must all come together to fight this evil. Now, let's just pause here. Now, this is a turning point for her. She wants to come together with the left. Hmm. Where were you during the uh, January 6th insurrection or during November and December of 2020 when Trump was repeatedly lying about the election? You were telling the left to fuck off. And now when somebody who potentially committed crimes is possibly going to be held accountable, now you want to come together and unite with the left. Go fuck yourself, Candace Owens. And I love the way that they're flipping. These folks were all back to blue. They were, you know, wanting all of us to thank and suck off a brave hero in uniform whenever we came across them on the streets. But now all of a sudden, they've gone full abolitionist because the FBI dared to hold Donald Trump minimally accountable with this raid. It doesn't even mean he's going to go to jail. We don't even know what's going to come of this. But just to have him raided in and of itself is the greatest injustice they've ever experienced. This is their January 6th. And, and this is just so hilarious. Journalist Ken Klippenstein shared Marjorie's response, which was defund the FBI. Hilarious coming from her, considering when you look at her previous statements, she tweeted out, we should back the blue. Now, not so much. Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweeted out, if you're not yet appalled by the total abuse of power from Democrats in Washington, you're not paying attention. But as Brian Tyler Cohen points out, this is what she said about Hillary Clinton in 2016. When you're attacking FBI agents because you're under investigation, you're losing. Now, last but not least, not necessarily within the MAGA world, Andrew Yang weighed in saying, I'm no Trump fan. I I want him as far away from the White House as possible, but a fundamental part of his appeal has been that it's him against a corrupt government establishment. This raid strengthens that case for millions of Americans who will see this as unjust persecution. So in other words, because lots of Americans, specifically Trump sycophants, are stupid and uninformed, and this will further play into their victim complex, we shouldn't do anything about Trump's potential crimes, we should just let him get away with breaking the law when we punish normal Americans every single day for potentially doing less than Trump did. I mean, let's remember, this individual tried to stage a coup and stay in power illegally and unconstitutionally, but you're saying for political purposes, we should just not do anything about his criminality. Um, no. I don't think that we should do that. In fact, I want to share a tweet that is very poignant given this particular moment that I agree with. This is from Donald J. Trump, who writes, law and order. Yeah, I agree with that. We need law and order. And do you want to know what that means? That means that when elites break the laws, just like peasants, they're also held accountable. But they just can't grapple with the prospect of their deity 
being held accountable. And, and again, I have to state this again, this might not even lead to anything. There's just evidence, there's probable cause that a crime was committed, but we don't necessarily know if Trump will be held legally accountable. We just know that they are creating a case against him. And is it serious? Absolutely. But still, I mean, if you're going to cry for Donald Trump, do you cry for the people who are incarcerated for dumb things, smoking pot, selling pot, doing minor offenses where they face years in jail, years in prison, rather? Like, are you going to shed tears for them or just elites when they're the ones who are being held accountable? I think you all know the answer to that question. So, yeah, I love this. Um, to see this massive meltdown just based on Trump being raided by the FBI, I can only imagine what it'd be like if Trump were to go to jail. The meltdown would be so delicious that we might all overdose on um, joy <laughs> because it's it, it would be that much of a fucking shitstorm if you see what they're, you know, you know, the way that they're reacting now. So either way, Trump was raided by the FBI and I am watching delightfully and hoping that more comes of this because um, unlike these conservative hypocrites, I actually believe that elites should be held accountable. I don't care if that means Democrats. I don't care if that means Republicans. If you want to prosecute Hunter Biden, have at it. I don't care because I'm consistent. If you break the law, you should go to jail. That's something that we should apply universally, not just to poor people. So yeah, there you have it. It's just, it's interesting. One last thing I'll say about this. It's interesting the way that they will completely flip their political views like that in a moment's notice to go from backing the blue to becoming abolitionists that really says something about the right doesn't it because these folks they have no core consistent set of principles or beliefs they just speak whatever is on their mind and so if temporarily it benefits them to you know be against the blue and become fbi abolitionists then they'll do that but if it behooves them to back the blue if it means taking down the left and left-wingers who protest then They'll do that too. So it's a really interesting moment. And I would really, you know, um, emphasize the need to pay attention to this because this is how they expose themselves by showing how nakedly hypocritical they are and how they're willing to change their entire worldview when it benefits them. Love to see this. Conversations related to big tech and the threat that they potentially pose to us usually pertains to conversations about arbitrary or illegitimate bans on social media. But one element of big tech that most people don't really focus on is the threat that these social media giants pose to our privacy. Now, one story is perhaps the most Orwellian story I've seen yet with regard to big tech and the way that they handed over information to the government to prosecute a teenager for having an alleged illegal abortion. Now, we're not going to get too much into the details of the abortion story itself. I've shared uh, stories from women who have gone through abortions and have had unfortunate experiences. I think that this particular story really highlights the tech element and the need for you to protect your data. If you are a woman, this story, I hope, gives you the incentive to delete your social media apps that aren't protected, use more encrypted apps like signal uh and also delete your period tracking apps if you still use them these are very popular but these can be used to potentially prosecute you in the event you are accused of having an illegal abortion 
So let's go to Vice for the story. They write a 17-year-old girl and her mother have been charged with a series of felonies and misdemeanors after an apparent medication abortion at home in Nebraska. The state's case relies on evidence from the teenager's private Facebook messages obtained directly from Facebook by court order, which show the mother and daughter allegedly bought medication to induce abortion online and then disposed of the body of the fetus. While the court documents obtained by motherboard allege that the abortion took place before the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June, they show in shocking detail how abortion could and will be prosecuted in the United States and how tech companies will be enlisted by law enforcement to help prosecute their cases. Jessica Burgess is charged with five crimes, three felonies including perform slash attempt abortion at greater than 20 weeks, perform abortion by non-licensed doctor, and removing slash concealing a dead human body. Celeste is charged with one felony, removing slash concealing slash abandoning dead human body and two misdemeanors, concealing the death of another person and false reporting. She is being tried as an adult. Some details of the case were earlier reported by the Lincoln Journal Star and Forbes. Motherboard is publishing the search warrants and court records that show specifically how the case is being prosecuted. A jury trial is scheduled for October. Now, this case, unfortunately, has ruined this family. The mother states that they have $400 to their name. So it was difficult for them to obtain an attorney, but it seems like they do presumably have one now. Now, other alarming details about this story. Celeste, she told police that she had a miscarriage. They did not believe her. And then they decided to issue a search warrant to Facebook. And, um, you know, even if she wasn't being truthful about the miscarriage that she was having in this instance, just the fact that they continued to pursue this teenager after she told them that she had a miscarriage is very frightening because women have miscarriages all the time. And this is why doctors are so apprehensive about performing procedures to remove the dead fetuses from these women because they don't want to be charged with potentially performing an illegal abortion on a live fetus. So, uh, and I've talked about this before. I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but I think that these details are really important. What doctors may do is just decline services to a woman who needs to remove the fetus after having a miscarriage or have that woman prevent, uh, provide them rather with a multitude of uh, evidence. Make sure that in the event a cop chooses to pursue them they can protect themselves but even if they are shielded from you know legal culpability and won't be arrested for this having to defend yourself could bankrupt you as this family is learning now she had this abortion at 28 weeks allegedly and that's legal in half the country so this cop is pursuing her he doesn't know for sure at the time when he obtains this search warrant for Facebook whether or not she was truthful about her having a miscarriage, pursues her anyway for having a procedure that is legal in half of the states. It's just wild to me. And they seized 13 laptops and smartphones, and they took 24 gigabytes of data, including photographs, information, documents, and the sort. It's genuinely Orwellian. This is the dystopia that conservatives claim to care about, but when it happens to individuals who they disagree with for making a decision about their own body, when it happens to children, let me be clear, who they disagree with for making decisions about their own body, they don't care. And a 17-year-old is a child. This is a minor. But her and her mother are now in legal trouble. Now, some details about Facebook and the way that they've been handling the issue of abortion, because as you might have guessed, not too well. 
This is from Forbes. A month before Celeste was charged, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, parent Meta, was asked by employees how the company will protect those seeking abortions. Zuckerberg replied that efforts to expand encryption across the platform will keep people safe, CyberScoop reported. In May, Meta's VP of HR, Janelle Gale, told employees they were not allowed to discuss abortion at work, according to The Verge. The company later announced that it will reimburse employees who find they must travel to a different state to seek an abortion. Still, Meta has remained largely silent on how it will moderate abortion content in general. However, users recently noticed that Instagram and Facebook posts about acquiring abortion pills such as Mifepristone were being systematically removed. At the same time, Meta continued to earn revenue from anti-abortion advertisements containing dangerous misinformation Media Matters found. An investigation by Markup discovered that Facebook was collecting data from users interacting with abortion services websites and subsequently made that information available to anti-abortion groups. So it's not just the matter of, well, they, you know, were subpoenaed, so they were required by law to turn over these documents. The data that they are collecting is uh, made available to people who are against these women, who might, for example, if, if you have this data and you're an anti-abortion group, what's the implication of that? You could take this to local law enforcement so they could potentially prosecute women who allegedly have abortions on live fetuses in states where that is illegal. This is genuinely disturbing and i need people to understand that this is just the beginning roe has only been overturned for a month or so right maybe two months give or take but we're already seeing the lengths that prosecutors and attorneys general around the country will go to to make sure that women aren't just prosecuted but other women get the message that in the event you want to get an abortion, this could be your fate. You could be the next individual to be prosecuted. So there's a lot of details to this story. Uh, Vice did publish the court order. I'm going to link to that in the description box. Uh, really, the main takeaway that I want this to be for you is, again, if you are a individual who um, is speaking with someone who tells you that they want to have an abortion, if you are a person who has the capacity for pregnancy and you use these social media websites and you're unwilling to delete them, absolutely do not talk about these matters in d uh, DMs, in direct messages, in any format uh, that could lead to you being penalized. With the way that Facebook has conducted itself, it doesn't make you a conspiracy theorist. You're not a tinfoil hat wearer to take steps to protect yourself. I think that makes you logical and you need to protect your data, protect your information, especially when it relates to health decisions like this. Now, another thing that I hadn't previously thought about is the way that um, different insurance companies, and, or not insurance companies, but healthcare providers, they have online systems so you can interact with your doctor. So for example, I have a health portal where I can send direct messages back and forth with my doctor about medication and whatnot. Um, so in these states, if there are direct messages, i.e. evidence of a potential abortion or miscarriage that looks a little bit suspicious, is that going to be subpoenaed as well? How many doctors will be issued these search warrants? Again, it's it's really horrifying to think about how far these Republicans are going to go to um, carry out their forced, forced birth agenda. But, you know, again, it's the beginning. Protect yourselves. Delete the apps that you are using that could get you in trouble one day in the event you get an abortion. Today, Donald Trump was deposed by New York Attorney General Tish James, and predictably, he decided to plead the fifth. 
As Politico explains, former President Donald Trump declined to answer questions on Wednesday during a deposition with the office of New York Attorney General Tish James, asserting his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Trump, who has long accused James of conducting a politically motivated probe into his family's real estate business, said in a statement Wednesday that he had, quote, absolutely no choice but to take the fifth during his under oath interview with the attorney general's office. James is leading an investigation into Trump organization business practices, examining allegations that the former president's company misstated asset values on financial documents. So he had absolutely no choice but to plead the fifth. Now look, that is his right as an American citizen, but let me remind you what he has said repeatedly about individuals who plead the fifth. When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the Fifth so they're not prosecuted. When you have the man that set up the illegal server taking the Fifth, I think it's disgraceful. Fifth Amendment. Bob. The mob takes the Fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Fifth Amendment. Horrible. So there you have it. People who plead the Fifth are guilty. Donald Trump. I mean, look, the hypocrisy here with Republicans it's expected. It's like a feature of this new brand of republicanism spawned by Donald Trump. But shockingly, he actually did address the hypocrisy. He explained why he changed his opinion on this particular issue. Quote, I once asked, if you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Now I know the answer to that question, Trump said in a statement released by his post-presidential office. When your family, your company, and all the people in your orbit have become the targets of an unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt supported by lawyers, prosecutors, and the fake news media, you have no choice. I mean, you do have a choice, but he views this as a non-choice because we all know that in the event he were to actually speak, he would probably self-incriminate, hence the reason for the Fifth Amendment in the first place. Now, we'll get to more details about this particular investigation, but when his children, Trump Jr. and Ivanka, were deposed, they did not plead the Fifth. And it's because as dumb as they are, especially Trump Jr., I think that they're more competent with the way that they speak. Whereas if Donald Trump were able to talk, or if he did talk if his lawyers allowed him to do that i'm assuming they instructed him to plead the fifth but either way if trump were actually to speak during his deposition everyone knows he'd blab on to a point where he'd end up self-incriminating you give him enough rope and he'll hang himself with it so you know if i were trump's attorney i would absolutely be instructing him to plead the fifth now oddly enough about this event was that he was kind of semi live tweeting his experience before he was supposed so he made this quote tweet on truth social at the very nice plush beautiful and expensive ag's office nice working conditions as people are being murdered all over new york i should be doing this in trump's voice and she spends her time and effort on trying to quote get trump Yes, because people in that office don't deserve good working conditions unless there's zero murders in New York. Now, he's tried to claim that this is a political witch hunt, but he says the same thing about every single investigation. And he's, you know, he's been under investigation for a long time. And this is a multitude of different investigations, not just this one. And he has the same playbook. So, I mean, this is a story of the boy who cried wolf. If everything is a witch hunt, then effectively nothing is a witch hunt because you've said the same thing time and again, and now nobody believes you. But more important details about this particular case and other ones related to his potential fraud. 
The former president is also the subject of a parallel criminal investigation being conducted by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office into whether he fraudulently inflated property values. A state appeals court ruled in May that Trump and his two eldest children would have to sit for depositions under oath in the Attorney General's probe, denying an appeal from Trump to overturn a ruling enforcing the subpoenas. The former president's meeting on Wednesday came just days after the Attorney General's Office questioned Donald Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump, both of whom did not plead the fifth. James office has said that it uncovered significant evidence that the Trump organization fraudulently valued multiple assets and misrepresented them to mislead financial institutions. But Trump has denied any wrongdoing and claimed the investigation is politically motivated. The former president's deposition on Wednesday could represent a final stage of James's civil investigation, after which he could file a lawsuit against Trump or negotiate a settlement with Trump's lawyers to obtain a quicker financial payout. So if I had to guess, she probably would try to uh, pursue him with a civil suit or get some sort of a payout. I don't think that she's just going to let this go. But if you were wondering whether or not this would lead to him being jailed, no, this is not a criminal suit. Um, now, when it comes to whether or not we should believe her when she says that she found significant evidence of criminality with regard to potential tax fraud, I mean... Does anyone doubt her at this point? There was a 2018 article published in the New York Times that comprehensively detailed the extent of his tax-dodging ways, and it was mind-blowing. And we may soon learn even more following a federal appeals court approval of a request by the House Ways and Means Committee to force the IRS to hand over Trump's tax returns. And I'm not a betting man usually, but if I had to bet, I'd bet that the reason why he doesn't want his tax returns released is because he's hiding potential evidence of criminality evidence that he is misstating the uh, property values. So, you know, I, I think that probably Tish James, she's going to pursue this to the very end. And I applaud her for that. But this is not a criminal suit. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't other investigations that could lead to Trump being criminally charged. For example, just three weeks ago, we learned that all 16 of Trump's fake electors are the targets of a criminal inquiry by Atlanta prosecutors. And Trump himself could be in trouble as well. And that's on top of the January 6th committee's investigation, along with the DOJ's investigation and the FBI raid that they conducted. Now, Trump is not releasing the warrant, which I find very interesting because, again, he claims witch hunt. It's all a witch hunt, right? It's politically motivated, except release the warrant and we can determine for ourselves whether or not it's a witch hunt. But the only reason why you would, would withhold the warrant from the public, the only reason why you wouldn't release your tax returns is because there's potential evidence of criminal wrongdoing. It's another reason to plead the fifth, if you ask Donald Trump in... Uh, 2016 2017 circa so yeah that's where we're at he pled the fifth not necessarily surprising this could result in civil charges it won't result in him going to jail but that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't other instances or other investigations i should say where trump could be legal legally culpable in a criminal case but still keep in mind that this is a former president and a very powerful elite so even if there is evidence of criminal wrongdoing i mean you're charging a former president. Not a lot of people have the gumption to do something like that. So even if the evidence is there, even if there's smoke because there's a fire, it's a matter of whether or not officials in the U.S. will be brave enough to actually hold him accountable. And that includes Merrick Garland. So, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. But um, it's not going to get any easier for Donald Trump because there's an abundance of evidence that he committed a multitude of crimes. So whether it's criminal or 
civil. He's bound to be hold account held accountable in some way, but this won't be the first time, as he was previously sued for Trump uh, University and the fraud that that was. So this is just like his life, because when you're that big of a criminal, that big of a fraud, of course, it's bound to catch up with you. You are bound to face at least some accountability, even if it might not necessarily be comparatively that bad. But I mean, if he were just a regular person, if he were a pleb, oh, he'd be in prison long ago. Yeah, everyone knows that that's the case. So don't kid yourself about that. So I wanted to take some time to talk about Tuesday's primary in the 5th Congressional District of Minnesota, featuring Ilhan Omar and an APAC-funded corporate Democrat who she ultimately defeated. Now, following her victory, she released this statement via Twitter saying, Tonight's victory is a testament to how much our district believes in the collective values we are fighting for and how much they're willing to do to help us overcome defeat. Now, Ilhan Omar probably is... The member of Congress who I agree with the most, we don't agree on 100% of the issues, but ideologically speaking, I'm probably the most closely aligned with her. And on top of that, I also have some slight strategic disagreements with her from time to time. Having said that, though, Ilhan Omar is an absolutely invaluable member for progressives in Congress, and to lose her would be a disaster. But why talk about this doomsday scenario if it didn't actually bear out, if she won? Well, let's look at the results here. She won by just two percentage points, with 50.3% of the vote, while her opponent, Don Samuels, got 48.2% of the vote. So, I want to make this very clear. We came this close to losing Ilhan Omar. We already lost Marie Newman this year in Congress. This was a progressive was successfully primaried by a centrist corporate Democrat, and we almost lost one of the most vocal progressive members of Congress. That would have been an absolute nightmare. And to show you how close this was, let's look back at some primaries that took place just last Tuesday. So Rashida Tlaib defeated her primary opponent by over 41 points. Cori Bush defeated her primary opponent by nearly 43 percentage points. And back in June, Katie Porter defeated her primary opponent by almost 21 percentage points. But Ilhan Omar? Two points. Now, the good news is she won. But I want this to be a wake-up call to the left. We have to be there to defend our allies in Congress. I know that oftentimes... We criticize them. A lot of us are vocal, and for good reason. You know, we become complicit because she has that incumbency advantage, which is a real thing, by the way. But this really goes to show you that in the next primary that Ilhan Omar is going to uh, face, which is inevitable, she will be primaried, and that's fine. I think that, you know, primaries are a part of democracy, and I support them unequivocally. But I also support defending my people and who are going to fight for policies that affect me. And we have to be there for Ilan Omar next time. We have to be there for all progressives when it comes to their primaries because we don't necessarily know how close it's going to come and whether or not us being complicit could be our downfall ultimately. It's not just about Minnesota's 5th Congressional District. Ilan Omar supports, uh, supports policies that affect all of us in a positive way. She sponsored legislation in the House to cancel all student debt. And on top of that, she's a consistent vote for progressives. Now, again, you may disagree with her from time to time, as I do with particular votes that she takes. That doesn't mean that we allow her to lose 
to some corporate Democrat who's going to do the bidding of the establishment and especially their corporate donors. So why was this race so close? It's not like there weren't other issues regarding funding and APAC's backing of, you know, a primary opponent. Uh, but in this particular race, there was a lot of people who were against Ilhan Omar. So Jake Johnson of Common Dreams lays out the dynamic of this race. Omar, who has also repeatedly been thrown under a bus by the Democratic establishment, overcame a torrent of outside opposition spending, including from a newly created super PAC financed with donations from Kelly Doran, a Minnesota businessman and commercial real estate developer with a history of donating to Republicans, and Vance Opperman, the head of a private investment firm. The Drain the D.C. Swamp PAC, a far-right outfit aligned with former President Donald Trump and GOP election deniers also spent against Omar in the primary for Minnesota's solidly blue 5th Congressional District. The Intercept reported last year that Samuels, who was also previously elected to the Minneapolis School Board with the support of right-wing privatization advocates, attended an April fundraiser headlined by developers, lobbyists, and business leaders, including at least one Republican operative and donor, Andy Brim, Jonathan Weinhagen, the president and CEO of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber of Commerce. Steve Kramer, the president and CEO of MPLS Downtown Council, an organization of more than 450 Minneapolis businesses, a former U.S. ambassador to Morocco, and a former city council president. So it's not just APAC money and pro-Israel, anti-Palestinian money going into this race. It's a lot of right-wing money. Now, as we've seen in the past, right-wing donations are very powerful because their pockets are seemingly infinite. We saw the way that right-wing money defeated Nina Turner, not once, but twice. We saw what right-wing money did in Buffalo, where India Walton defeated the incumbent mayor, Byron Brown, in their Democratic Party primary, but he decided to run a sore loser write-in campaign. He took lots and lots of right-wing money, and he ultimately won the general election, even after she beat him in the primary. So if we've learned anything, it's that when we see right-wing money in a race, we have to take it seriously. And we just weren't really following this race closely because, again, it's really easy to become complicit. I'm part of the problem for sure. You know, I, I expected Ilhan Omar to win, and when I saw that, she, you know, it was called for her, I wasn't surprised. But when I look at, looked at the numbers, I thought, wait a second. This really is cause for concern. Again, we have two more years of Ilhan Omar in Congress. But we have to make sure that her legacy extends beyond 2022, 2024, 2026, because so long as she's going to be a fighter, so long as we have members of Congress actually representing the left in a meaningful way, we have to have their backs. And it's difficult because we're trying to multitask, right? On one hand, you know, I always hyper-focus on getting new progressives elected into Congress, but I think that this year really serves as a wake-up call that we can't just focus exclusively on making more gains. We have to protect the gains that we've made. And I'm preaching to the choir. I know that all of you know this, but I think it really serves as a reminder and more importantly, a wake-up call as to how powerful these interests are. They're not just going to give up once they see that a leftist defeated some corporate Democrat in a primary. They're going to get involved in these primaries as Democrats have been getting involved in GOP primaries to make sure that they defeat someone who they view as a threat to their corporate interests or their geopolitical interests or whatever. They've had it out for Ilhan Omar and she has gone through more than any congressperson has gone through. I mean, she faces death threats repeatedly and on a constant basis. So 
we've got to do more to protect our allies in Congress. And I just wanted to let you know how close this was in case you weren't following this race as closely because this is scary. Again, this close. We came this close. And we've got to be there for our representatives who actually represent our movement well. They may not be perfect allies. You're never going to agree with a member of Congress on 100% of the issues. I think that if you're a leftist and you believe strongly, if you have a really consistent ideology, that's impossible. But still, we have to support people who are aligned with us, especially people like Ilhan Omar, who goes to bat for the left, who says things that 20 years ago really was unheard of in Congress. How often can you look back in history and see members of Congress denouncing Israeli apartheid and using the word apartheid? I mean, only until recently when we've elected members of the squad like AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, have we seen momentum shift, you know, to the left, at least somewhat within the Democratic Party. It's not like they are running roughshod over corporate Democrats. I think that the opposite is true. But just to have them there to shift the Overton window, to be an extra voice for the left, that really is important. And I hope that the online left, the institutional left, all coalesce behind these primaries because the challenges aren't going to stop. And they shouldn't, sh they shouldn't stop, to be fair. I think that every single sitting member of Congress should face a primary challenge every single year because I'm principled and I believe in democracy. But we've still got to defend our people in these fights. So just pay closer attention next time, folks. This was really close, too close for comfort. And uh, I'm going to be hyper aware next time what money is going into uh, these primary races. Over the past couple of years, we've seen a concerted effort by Republican lawmakers at the state level to effectively erase LGBTQ plus youth from society. And this has come in a number of forms, um, whether it be bathroom bills, bans on gender affirming care, criminalizing it and investigating parents who seek gender affirming care for their trans children, as we've seen with Texas and now Florida. And it's not going to stop, but I need people to understand that the attacks are much deeper than these bigger issues. Like you hear oftentimes about trans athletes or bathroom bills or gender affirming care, but the lengths that the GOP is going to punish and, and bully even LGBTQ plus youth is incredibly cruel and deeply, deeply disturbing. As AP reports, more than 20 Republican attorneys general filed a lawsuit Tuesday against President Joe Biden's administration over a department agriculture school meal program that prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. The challenge, led by Tennessee Attorney General Herbert Slatery, claims that the federal government is attempting to force states and schools to follow anti-discrimination requirements that misconstrue the law. The coalition of attorneys general are hoping for a similar result to a separate challenge from earlier this month when a Tennessee judge temporarily barred two federal agencies from enforcing directives issued by Biden's administration that extended protections for LGBTQ people in schools and workplaces. The judge sided with the attorneys general, ruling that the directives infringed on states' right to enact laws such as banning students from participating in sports based on their gender identity or requiring schools and businesses to provide bathrooms and showers to accommodate transgender people. The attorneys general involved in the lawsuit filed Tuesday are from Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, India, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South 
South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, and West Virginia. Now, just pause for a second and notice what that judge said when they agreed with the attorneys general uh, with regard to the last rule that they referred to. Uh, states have the right to discriminate against queer youth. And in this case, attorneys general, 22 of them, are saying, mm, we actually don't support this provision that bars discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. In other words, we don't think that queer youth should have access to this school lunch program that their cisgender and heterosexual peers have access to. In other words, let them starve, fuck them, because they're LGBTQ+. I mean, this is so cruel. And it's not just like one rogue attorney, uh, attorney general is doing this. You have 22 of them who are saying, no, we all agree queer youth shouldn't have access to the same programs that straight youth have access to. It's, it's so ridiculous. I mean, flip this for a second and imagine if there were a left-leaning attorneys general that teamed up, 12 of them, hypothetically speaking, that said, we are going to deny school lunches to Christian students. Anyone who's Christian is not allowed to have uh, access to the same program as non-Christians. The right would lose their minds, and rightfully so. I would not be okay with this. I'd say this is completely unacceptable. It's very clearly discrimination on the basis of religious affiliation, and it's just wrong. Even if I don't like Christianity, uh, Christianity personally, that doesn't mean that Christian students should be denied access to school fucking lunches. And I say that because I'm not a monster. But it gets worse than this, actually. Greg Owen of LGBTQ Nation explains an LGBTQ back-to-school festival scheduled for Sunday afternoon in Fayetteville, Arkansas, was canceled by officials and the organizer after threats of violence. The weekend event at the Fayetteville Public Library, sponsored by LGBTQ youth group The Equality Crew, was to include a resource fair, picnic, concert, and dance party. We thought it was an opportunity to get resources into the hands of a population of students who may not feel comfortable with some of the traditional outlets in regards to school supplies said David Johnson, executive director of the Fayetteville Public Library. So this LGBTQ plus event, which was intended to distribute school supplies to LGBTQ plus youth, was ultimately forcefully shut down due to threats of violence against children, by the way. That's just extremely mean. Are the individuals who took issue with this event going to supply these children with backpacks, pencils? And look, it, to be clear, it's more than that, right? This was a back-to-school festival. It's supposed to be fun. So I, I'm assuming most of these kids aren't just going there to pick up their backpack and their pencils, but there's events, and this is necessary. When I did my capstone in college, I volunteered at an LGBTQ plus youth group, and these types of events are really important because LGBTQ plus youth are oftentimes social outcasts. So because they're different, you know, they find it more difficult to cultivate friendships. So these types of events fosters friendships and connections so these children can get to know each other so they feel more welcome and more comfortable in their own skin. So that's why it's not just, hey, come get your backpack. It's more of a fun event. And it was shut down. Now, the reason why it was shut down was because one of the events was a drag show. Now, there's been a lot of focus on drag shows as of late, but these are harmless drag is just a part of queer culture and republicans are going to have to get used to that since queer people existed drag shows have been a thing 
And if they are age appropriate, they're harmless. And that's what this was. This was intended for middle schoolers and teenagers. So a drag show is nothing more than a fashion show or a costume party. Like, do Republicans act this unhinged when it comes to, I don't know, toddlers and tiaras or these like weird, creepy beauty pageants? Because if anything is not age appropriate, uh, whatever the case may be, it's those things. But when it comes to drag shows, they're just hyper fixated on it because to them, they still view queer people as inherently promiscuous. So if queer people are around children, just by definition, that means that the children are in danger. And so that's what we're seeing here. But after this uh, event was shut down, because people threaten violence against these children. I, I can't say that enough. Well, one of the individuals who spearheaded this attack on this event actually took to Twitter to celebrate shutting down this event. And the individual who did this was none other than failed Senate candidate Jan Morgan, who tweeted out, you won. When I found out the Fayetteville Public Library was hosting a drag show dance for children, I asked you to help me stop this event. You responded by the thousands. The drag show for kids at your public library is now canceled. So what we've seen over the past week is Republican attorneys general trying to shut down school lunches for queer youth, a failed GOP Senate candidate trying to stop this event that was supposed to help children get school supplies, and it gets worse than that, because when it comes to the state of Florida, they didn't just ban gender-affirming care, but now they're going to forcibly detransition transgender youth. As trans activist Aaron Reed explains, I feel the need to remind everyone, given the Board of Medicine voting to accept the state's petition to ban gender-affirming care, that Florida is attempting to ban social transition of trans youth, see highlighted in this official letter. And as you can see, it clearly states, social gender transition should not be a treatment option for children or adolescents. Meaning, you have the government literally dictating what trans youth can and can't wear, what their names can and can't be. They're saying if you have a trans daughter, not only do you now have to dead name your trans daughter, you have to force your trans daughter to wear boys clothes. When was it acceptable for conservatives to dictate what people don't wear? I mean, if I want to wear a blue shirt, nobody's going to tell me that I can't wear a blue shirt. But they're saying, no, 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 you have to dress according to our guidelines and we won't even allow social transition. That means you wear the clothes that we want. You call your kid the dead name as we demand. And on top of that, you use the pronouns that we want for your child. What was all this talk about parental rights and education or parental autonomy? That all went out the window when they started to crack down on parents who are loving and seek out gender affirming care for trans youth. Now, to ban gender affirming care, puberty blockers, HRT is one thing. That's incredibly cruel. But to ban social transition, I mean, that is just next level cruel. These things are medically necessary. These not only reduce rates of depression, but they reduce suicidality. But Republicans like Ron DeSantis don't care at all. They're using children as a political football because they want to score more points and boost their national profile. And it's genuinely disturbing. Anyone who supports this party is supporting the erasure of the LGBTQ plus community. And we're not just talking about queer adults, which attacks on them is bad in and of itself, but we're talking about attacks on the most marginalized in our society, the most defenseless children. Republicans have resorted to just bullying LGBTQ plus ch children. No lunches, you wear what we want, no events. We want you out of society.
it's disgusting. And the rhetoric used against queer youth lately has been nothing short of genocidal. And the cruelty is so over the top, so beyond the pale, that to support the Republican Party is to functionally support their goal for what is most likely genocide for queer people. And I don't think that that's hyperbole given the way that they've reacted. I mean, in the state of Texas, any parent who has found to seek out gender-affirming care for their trans child is being investigated for child abuse. This means they want to kidnap children, potentially take them away from their parents and put them in a home where they'll be forced to detransition. This is extremely, extremely fascistic, psychotic shit. And if other people who may not be affected by this don't speak up, then we are absolutely doomed. We need all hands on, on deck because this cannot stand. This is absolutely, shockingly cruel and inhumane. Just now, the Justice Department has filed a motion in the Southern District of Florida to unseal a search warrant and property receipt relating to a court-approved search that the FBI conducted earlier this week. That search was of premises located in Florida belonging to the former president. The department did not make any public statements on the day of the search. The former president publicly confirmed the search that evening, as is his right. Copies of both the warrant and the FBI property receipt were provided on the day of the search to the former president's counsel, who was on site during the search. That was Attorney General Merrick Garland confirming that Donald Trump does indeed have a copy of the search warrants. Now, that's not necessarily surprising news, but what it does tell us is that if Trump wanted to, he could release the search warrants. But he's not doing that. I'm not necessarily sure why. Perhaps there's something in there that he finds embarrassing or incriminating. Either way, if he's truly innocent, if he believes this is an abuse of power, prove it, release the search warrants. He's not going to do that. Now, thankfully, Merrick Garland confirmed that the Department of Justice is working to unseal the search warrant. So we will see the contents of said search warrant within time. But I just want to address the members of right-wing media who are claiming that this is nothing more than an illegitimate political witch hunt where the Democratic Party is weaponizing law enforcement to use, you know, against their political opponents. That's not true. It is unequivocally false. First and foremost, the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, who had to approve of this raid, he was appointed by Donald Trump. Second of all, this raid could have been prevented had Donald Trump just complied with a subpoena. So this is largely his fault for just thinking that he's above the law. As the New York Times explains, former President Donald J. Trump received a subpoena this spring in search of documents that federal investigators believed he had failed to turn over earlier in the year when he turned boxes of material he had improperly taken with him upon moving out of the White House, three people familiar with the matter said. The subpoena suggests that the Justice Department tried methods short of a search warrant to account for the material before taking the politically explosive step of sending FBI agents unannounced to Mar-a-Lago. Mr. Trump's home and members only club. So just pause for a moment and imagine that this was you and you refused to comply with the subpoena. You weren't cooperating with law enforcement. I don't think you'd do that because you know that there would be penalties associated with this. Fines, jail potentially. But Donald Trump hasn't been complying with any of the investigations surrounding himself because he actually believes he's above the law. And you have his supporters defending him. 
I mean, this is a man who lives in a literal resort. And people think that he's he's fighting for me. No, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't give a fuck about you. He doesn't care if you die. You are worthless to him. All he cares about is you propping him up and giving him more power, hopefully so he can avoid prosecution in the event this investigation with regard to January 6th or this current investigation goes south for him. He doesn't care about you, but yet his supporters, like the cult members that they are, still defend him. So CNN talked to some Trump supporters nearby Mar-a-Lago, and the responses were predictable. Almost everyone we spoke with is very angry about the fact uh, that uh, the FBI came here uh, to Mar-a-Lago uh, just yesterday. They believe, uh, they didn't say what the basis for this was, but they believe that Donald Trump has been cooperating with the Department of Justice, uh, which is investigating the handling of presidential records and presidential documents. Uh, they don't think that it was a good idea for the FBI to come uh, to Mar-a-Lago, especially when the former president wasn't even home. Here's what else some of his supporters told me. They don't want the truth. That's the bottom line. They don't want the truth. You don't think that's why they came here to Mar-a-Lago to try and find out the truth and recover the archives? No. They are scared to death of Donald Trump. It's just a show. It, it, this is like maybe impeachment number four here for Trump. That's all it is. That's what I think. I mean, they didn't get it the first time, the Russian thing. They didn't get it the second time, right, with Ukraine. They didn't get it the third time with January 6th, I think they're running, they know they're running out of time there. They raid a home and CNN cameras are there and some of his past people. They, they know what's going on. It's all for a show to make Trump so he cannot run again. You don't think that there was a real reason to come no, here? I think it's just a show? I, it's not even think. I know there's no real reason. I know it in my heart. I know it in my spirit. He has never lied about anything. Many of the supporters were saying to me that the FBI and the Department of Justice are corrupt. I was quick to point out to them that it was Donald Trump who appointed Christopher Wray as director of the FBI, but they continued to say that he was corrupt. We also talked about Hillary Clinton's emails. I reminded them that it was Donald Trump who called for an investigation into uh, her classified emails, uh, but the irony was lost on them. They continued to say that he didn't do anything wrong, and she did. And that's one of the many pitfalls with pretending that politics is a team sport and having no consistent political beliefs. It leads to things like that. It's embarrassing. That lady said, I know in my heart, I know it in my spirit, he has never lied about anything. We're talking about Donald Trump here. These people are genuinely delusional. They're living in an alternate reality that Donald Trump has crafted for them. I mean, even politicians who I support I acknowledge that at some point in time, they've probably lied because politicians, they lie pretty frequently. But Donald Trump, nope, he's above the fray. He's better than everyone else, and he's completely innocent. Again, why are you defending these politicians who don't care about you? I just find this so egregious. Now, right-wing media has responded by saying, well, what about Hillary Clinton? What about Hunter Biden? What about this? What about that? And my response is always, I don't care. I'm not a team sports politics player, so lock them all up. I don't care. Investigate Hillary Clinton if you want to investigate Hunter Biden. I don't care. In fact, Hunter Biden should probably be investigated. But this is the mentality only of people who view politics as team sports. They think that, okay, so long as our team is the one that's taking the hits, then I'm good. It doesn't matter if I said one thing previously about Hillary Clinton with regard to the FBI and I had to do a complete 180. So long as my team is racking up the points, I'm a okay with that. And it's just ridiculous. 
And I love that, you know, Republicans will try to portray this as some sort of a double standard. And Charlie Kirk had the best response, by the way, saying, oh, well, you know, how many of Epstein's associates, how many of these perverts have been raided by the FBI? And I have to point out that Charlie Trump was one of Epstein's associates. So <laughs> what do you even say to that? Now, he'd respond by saying, oh, well, yeah. What about Bill Clinton, who was also one of Epstein's associates? Yeah. Agree with that. Bill Clinton should absolutely be investigated as well. In fact, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, they should share a cell. That would be poetic justice. I don't care about any of these fucking elites because guess what? Just because they write these laws doesn't mean that they shouldn't be subject to the laws that they impose on all of us. If you want to live in an actual equal justice system, you can't support this two tiers of justice where elites can get away with whatever they want, refuse to comply with law enforcement, you know, uh, ignore subpoenas. Whereas plebs, if they did the same thing, they'd be locked up. Like, you can't claim that you support equality in the law and you cave for people like Donald Trump. Like, it's mind-blowing to me. But if you watch nothing but Fox News, if you have, you know, a, a grandparent in your family who's hyped up on the Kool-Aid that Fox News sells to them, they have this perception that everyone in the country believes that this was a huge, you know, uh, misconduct. Like, it's the biggest scandal since Watergate. But that is just them living in this skewed reality because in actuality, polls show otherwise. So a poll conducted by the Morning Consult and Politico confirmed that most Americans think that the raid was good. 49% of registered voters approve of the FBI's raid on Mar-a-Lago with Democrats and to a lesser extent independents approving mostly, though there is a lot of independents who don't know or have no opinion. So just keep that in mind. Also from the same poll, 58% of voters believe Trump definitely or probably broke the law with Democrats and independents again answering the same way and only 24% of Republicans saying he either definitely or probably broke the law. So that right there is why the right has been so loud. Their shrieking has been deafening essentially because they want to make sure that they take hold of this narrative because once they take hold of the narrative then perhaps everyone else in America their views will align with them. But the problem is that Trump has been so brazen that it's kind of hard to craft the narrative when you have someone like Donald Trump who just flippantly disregard laws that he doesn't agree with. I mean, he talks about law and order and the rule of law. This is the party that's supposed to support law enforcement. And they they just they have no respect for the law. You know, it, it's it's again, this is one of those stories that is so mind-numbingly insufferable, because even if you know that the right is hypocritical, there are some times where they just like wear a flag saying I'm a fucking hypocrite or they have a flag saying that I'm a fucking hypocrite. And this is one of those times where they go from back the blue, we support our heroes in uniform to, oh, let's abolish the FBI within a matter of minutes after learning about the Trump FBI raid. It's just ridiculous. Now, there is one caveat to that poll. So Politico explains, when asked how they generally viewed the FBI's actions, voters were similarly split overall. Question, would you consider the FBI's decision to conduct a search warrant on former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida to be an abuse of power that should be investigated? 41%. An abuse of power, but it should not be investigated. 6%. Not an abuse of power. 40%. Don't know. No opinion. 13%. So perhaps they buy into this idea from the right-wing media that, yeah, this is kind of an abuse of power, but at the same time, Trump's crimes were probably so egregious that even if it's an abuse of power, yeah, this should still have happened. 
So don't let these right-wing media figures and propagandists pretend as if everyone is against this. People know that Trump is a criminal, and more and more people are waking up to the fact that he's a criminal. And whether or not he will actually be held accountable, that's yet to be determined. I'm skeptical. I don't actually think it's going to happen, but I'd be happy to be proven wrong either way. You know, don't let them pretend as if, oh my God, we're all against this. Everybody knows that this is something that is necessary, right? If you actually care about justice, equal justice in this country, then you have to support this. Otherwise, just admit that you think that elites should be above the law. Just admit that already. Stop pretending as if you care about equal justice because you clearly don't if you think that Donald Trump, of all people, should not have been raided by the FBI. He should be in jail right now, and he's lucky that he isn't. And perhaps the only thing that's saving his ass is being really wealthy and really powerful. But other than that, you know, if he were just a normal person who worked at Home Depot, he would have been in prison a long time ago. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.